great. Fantastic. So at the moment, we're going through the book of Philippians, chapter by chapter, and just seeing what Paul said to us about how we need to rejoice, have joy. And just to remind you a bit of context, Paul is an old man now. Um, He's in prison in Rome. He's currently kind of on death row, effectively. He's waiting to be executed. So in normal circumstances, that would be a very pressured situation. And yet within that context, within that massive, massive pressure that none of us can really imagine what that's really like to be waiting to be executed, he writes the book of Philippians, which throughout the book of Philippians focuses on joy and rejoicing. Um, Yeah, and you might think this sounds a little bit similar to my last talk. And that's because it is. (laughs) There's three more. As we go through Philippians 3, there's three more sort of habits that you can rejoy your soul with through this book. Um, In verse 1 of Philippians 3, he says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Paul knew he was repeating himself. I know that I'm repeating myself. We are repeating ourselves for eight weeks because to rejoice in the Lord and rejoy your soul is so important. It will safeguard your faith, says Paul. Let's just have a little look at that word, rejoice. If you think about the word remind, you is when you actively bring something back to your mind, to your memory, isn't it? Something that's happened in the past, something you need to remember. You remind yourself of that thing. And rejoice is a very similar word. You you are rejoying your soul. You are actively bringing something or doing something that will bring joy to your soul. And there's three habits There's three ways that we can rejoy ourselves and our souls as we look through Philippians. So three more habits. We're going to look at the first one now as we look through Philippians 3, which is relax every day in God's grace. So to rejoy your soul, you need to relax into God's grace. Let's see what Paul says in verses 3 to 6. We rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Wow. (laughs) That's pretty, I mean, to be able to say he could obey the law without fault is pretty intense, isn't it? So he's basically saying, if it's about what I can do to earn God's favour, I have ticked every single box that there is. Religion, race, reputation. He did everything right and yet he totally missed the point, didn't he? Because the good news of Jesus is it's not about what we can do. It's not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us through Jesus. 
Because when it comes to salvation, anything that we have done, any of our actions, good or bad, make absolutely no difference whatsoever. There is nothing good that we can do to earn salvation and to earn a place in heaven. And there's nothing bad that we can do that means we won't either. So nothing that we does, we do makes any difference in terms of earning God's favour, his regard for us, his love for us. It makes no difference whatsoever. So just completely free yourself of that right now. <laughs> okay? Be free in that. Remember that. That actually it's all about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The only thing that matters is if we have faith in Jesus, if we accept what he did for us on the cross, swapping his perfection for our imperfection, the amazing exchange of righteousness when we don't deserve it, grace, the unmerited favour of God. That's what is available through faith in Jesus. That's it. How amazing, how joy giving is that fact and how freeing is that fact when we look at verse four that's why Paul says in verse four we rely on what Jesus Christ has done for us we put no confidence in human effort or in verse nine I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law rather I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith So the first habit to rejoy your soul is to relax into God's grace. You don't need to prove anything to God. You don't need to prove anything to man. So every day rejoice in God's grace for you. Rejoice in the fact you don't have to earn his favour or love. That you are completely accepted and loved. In Hebrew, the word for joy is called kura. And the word for grace is kuris. They have the same root. Because the source of joy is grace. And the more you live by grace, the more joy and contentment you will find. So how do you know when you're living in grace? You've accepted God's grace for yourself. But it's a difference to have a habit of grace, isn't it? to be gracious, to have a habit to be gracious every day, to make sure that grace infuses your life, that grace you've received from God flows out to the people around you too. You'll know if you live in grace because you'll cut people some slack. When they say things in the wrong tone of voice, you'll assume the best. And you'll do it because you'll be so aware of how much you've been forgiven and how much grace God has got for you. Because legalism trying to do things to the law, being judgmental, being critical is the anti-grace. And you can choose to add grace into your life that will bring joy, or you can choose to add judgmentalism, criticism, or legalism into your life that will bring the opposite of joy. This is a lovely translation of the message from Matthew 11 that says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. 
Legalism kills joy, but grace is liberating. Legalism is tiring, but grace gives freedom and joy. Let me give you some examples. So, for example, say you're the sort of person that's always on time for everything. You know, you're there like five to ten minutes early. You know, feeling pretty smug. That's right. I'm here early. This hand never happens to me, by the way, right? <laughs> I'm never normally in this position. And if I was, I would probably feel quite smug. <laughs> but anyway, so you've, you've turned up to this meeting. You're early, which is awesome. And then there's all these people that start trickling really late. And you're sitting there going, man, seriously, so bad. I would never do that. <laughs> so that sense of judgment, so you're judging people there and criticizing people there. And obviously there is benefits being, you know, on time. And I'm not saying that. But it's the, it's the judgmental thing that happens. So if you're judging people for being late... When you are then late next time, so say you're late next time, you'll be feeling awful because you'll be subconsciously assuming that everybody else is judging you in the same way that you judge them. So you'll be thinking, oh, no, this is awful. I'm really late. Everyone's going to think I'm an awful person because I'm late because that's what you've done. Whereas with somebody that lives in grace, somebody that's never judged somebody for being late, they just turn up late and don't care because they're free. They haven't even thought that somebody is going to be judging them because it would never cross their mind to judge someone. Do you get what I mean? Grace is freeing and liberating. Judgment causes, you know, lack of, lack of grace, lack of joy, and it closes down your life. It causes less freedom in your life. If you judge others, you will judge yourself more harshly and you'll gradually close down free areas in your life. So have grace for other people. But also don't live under other people's rules for your life either. Don't subject yourself to other people's legalisms for you. And you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. People's expectations of you, their own rules for how you should behave that aren't really related to the Bible or what God wants you to do. They're just their rules for your life, their expectations for you, their disapproval of your life. You know, you might you might have closer issues, but I'll just give you a quick example of this. So <clears throat> I was riding my bike the other day, and um, and this so my so it's on the cycle lane, but you can kind of cross the road, and there's a little green cycle that says you can cross the road safely. But this lorry had basically stopped anyway because there's all this traffic. So I just thought, oh, I'll just I'll just cross the road then. And this lorry driver was properly tutting it, like you know, like when somebody's like. <sighs> like this, full-on disapproval at me, you know, because I wasn't living life by his rules, so therefore he was disapproving of me. And I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let your disobvious, very obvious disapproval of me, like shaking his head, oh, you know, listen at me, to rob my joy. Do you get what I mean? But that's a really small example. But on a much bigger example, you can have potentially have parents or spouses or people that expect you to live by their rules that aren't necessarily fair that actually can rob your joy and you have to kind of release yourself from that and think no I'm just accountable for God from God and obviously I need to be kind and considerate and all the rest of it but actually people can put their own legalism and rules and expectations and disapproval of you that can rob your joy so don't live under that be released from other people's expectations of you. Be released. Relax in God's grace.
know that you're accepted and approved of by God. First and foremost, habit one, relax in his grace. Daily habit two, moving on through Philippians three, onto verses seven and nine. Paul says, I once thought all of these things were valuable, i.e. all the things he did to try and earn God's favour. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul saying everything he did before he met Jesus, everything he tried to do to earn God's favor is basically garbage. And in the original Hebrew, I think it's quite a lot stronger than that. It's more like kind of poo, (laughs) you know, animal dung, that sort of pretty strong language. So anything that you can do to earn God's favor is just rubbish and useless compared to the infinite value of knowing Jesus. How amazing. So the next daily habit is to really remember what matters most, to remind ourselves, to rejoy our soul with the fact that we know Jesus and that we have the joy of becoming one with him, one with the living God. How amazing is that? And it helps you put stuff in perspective. So I don't know what was important to you before you became a Christian, maybe getting a great career, maybe getting lots of money, maybe dating, just having fun. But when you know Jesus, your values kind of change into knowing Jesus instead. And those things just don't matter to you as much anymore. You know, there might we just need to remember what matters most, even though everything around us is trying to tell us that these little things matter a lot that really don't matter. You know, like, have you got the right... You know, do you listen to the right songs? You know, um, is your hair in place? Are you dressed right? All the advertising, all the world's economy is spent trying to tell you that these small things that really don't matter at all in the light of eternity really, really matter. But if you want to live in the light of eternity, if you really want to remember what matters most, you need to ask yourselves questions like this. What I'm about to do Will it matter in 100 years' time? Will it matter in five years' time? You know, we can lose our joy over little things so easily, can't we? Like waiting in a long line at the traffic or in supermarket or whatever. And we can get so stressed or worried about things that won't even matter really in a couple of hours. Or maybe even the next 15 minutes. And yet, let alone... In the light of eternity, do these things matter? So let's remember what matters most and don't sweat the small stuff. I don't know how many of you have had a big thing happen in your life, maybe a big crisis or maybe somebody close to you has died or you've been diagnosed with cancer or something. And it's in those moments that you really catch a glimpse of eternity, isn't it? And you are so, you have that clarity of knowing what's important, your relationship with God, your love for God, and your love for other people. And anything that you were sort of bothered about before just seems so pathetic and trivial by comparison, doesn't it? 
And yet it's so easy to get caught up in those little detail things and lose our joy over that. When the big picture is that God loves you. God's got grace for you. You've got a relationship with him and you're going to heaven and you're going to be saved. And he's got amazing grace and love for you. But we can get so caught up in these little things and lose our joy over them. The next habit, habit three, moving on through chapter three, is from verses 13 to 14 where Paul says... But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Paul here is basically so focused heavenly. He's so focused on the eternal. He's so focused on winning that prize, the heavenly prize, the fact that he's going to get to spend eternity with Jesus. He's so focused on that that he's not letting things in his past hinder him. He's not letting stuff drag him down and in in his past. And that's the third secret is forget what can't be changed and focus on the future. Focus, have that eternal view. But there's three really common things that can keep us trapped in our past that we all do all the time. And the first one is regret. That feeling of like, oh, I just wish I'd done that differently. And with the benefit of hindsight, space, more wisdom, time, there's all things that we wish we could have done differently, aren't there? You know, there might be big things. It might be financial decisions. It might be a parenting fail that we're a bit ashamed of. It might be hurting somebody close to us. Or it might be tiny little things. And having done this since having done the sermon, I've actually realized how much I do this, which is really odd. Like little things like, I don't know, oh, I wish we hadn't watched that film. We could have done that. Oh, I wish, why did we do that? And oh, I wish that, you know, if Jed wasn't ill, we could do this and that. We could go out for water this afternoon. That's all kind of regret, isn't it? And it's kind of stuff that robs your joy. And big regret really will rob your joy. But it is impossible to change the past, completely impossible to change the past. It's gone. It's happened. There's nothing you can do about that. It is in the past. The only thing you can do is really get before God and say, right, what was my part in that? Do I need to ask somebody's forgiveness for that? Do I need to ask God's forgiveness for that? And once you've sought that forgiveness and asked for it, then you have to just leave it there and you have to move on into the future that God's got for you because otherwise you'll be trapped in your past and you won't be focusing on the heavenly prize. You won't be able to focus on your future. You won't be able to focus on what God is calling you heavenly forward. You won't be able to focus on your relationship with God. You won't be able to focus on God, on your relationships with others even, because you'll be trapped in the past. The second thing that traps us in our past is unforgiveness. You know, and this is a massive issue and some people have been massively, massively hurt by people. And it is a really, really hard thing to do to forgive people that have really hurt you. Um, you know, so many people have suffered so much, but we do have a choice. We do have a choice whether to forgive or not to forgive. And when we choose not to forgive people, we're basically keeping ourselves locked into the past. You're keeping reminding yourself of that thing that happened. You're bringing it back to mind aren't you you're reliving it again and again and again because you can't forgive them and move on and you're kind of keeping that person that's hurt you in your present and in your future instead of forgiving them 
and leaving them behind and unchaining yourself from that person and moving forward into your future. You're dragging that person and that thing with you into your current present life. That's what unforgiveness does. It, it keeps you, it adds anger and bitterness and all these really unhelpful things into your life instead of forgiving that person and moving on into the future. You know, we have all got a limited amount of energy. We do get tired, don't we? We do get exhausted. And the biggest, the biggest thing that ties us out is that emotional, being drained emotionally, isn't it? And when we relive the traumas, when we keep reliving stuff over and over again, we, we're draining ourselves of that emotional energy, energy that could go to be productive, to helping people, to loving God more. So, yeah. So I would just really say, if there's anything this morning that you really feel like, yeah, I do need to forgive that person. I don't know how many of you have done freedom in Christ, but it really makes you think of literally everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> but yeah, if there was anybody you still need to forgive, I would really urge you to do that, to do that business with God, to write it down, to speak it out and to leave it in the past. Tradition, tradition can also keep you stuck in the past. You know, things, oh, we've always done it that way. This is how it always is. We want to keep it the same. That sort of thing, that can keep you stuck in the past. So you can't, you can't um, focus on the future. But change is always going to be happening, isn't it? Our jobs will change. Um, people will change. Our families will change. Everything is changing. It's all changing. So if you kind of, um, you know, can't cope with that, that will rob your joy too. Because we can sort of, if we yearn for the past, yearn for things how they used to be, like maybe our kids have grown up and left home, but we kind of yearn for that. Then you kind of let that discontent and that sadness can kind of settle in. But you need to let the past be in the past and move towards the future. Um, I'm going to read now a little excerpt from um, Nicola Bateman's blog which she wrote, which is um, Nick and Sue's daughter and Sai's sister. Um, And she just wrote something completely amazing and powerful. So anyway, I'll just read it because it explains. She says, On the 11th of November 2016, at around 1pm in the afternoon, my every hope and dream was completely and utterly shattered by the news that Mark had been found just 13 minutes walk from our home. Too late, not alive. So um, Nicola's 30, 30, yeah. What do you do when someone delivers your worst case scenario right there on your doorstep? When worst case scenario becomes your living reality? I'll tell you what I did. I crumbled, I yelled, I cried out in disbelief. And I spent the next few days and weeks in a blur of confusing emotions and thoughts. An excruciating pain like I never knew possible. And time did not stop. I def- desperately tried to cling to Mark, to my life with Mark, our marriage and our dreams. With every day that went by, every sun that rose, the reality passed through my white-knuckled fist. I felt lost. I was afraid. And I hated that every moment I carried on living was a moment further away from my life with Mark. Now the moments have turned into a year. But... As alongside the agony, there was a steady flow of peace and joy and gratitude that would just not subside. In fact, it grew and has been growing. And this has taught me something incredibly important. I have a choice. I can choose what I focus on. I can choose my attitude in all of this. 
I can choose to grieve good grief. I can choose anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, doubt and fear. Or I can choose gratitude, hope, life and to embrace the pain and brokenness as a way to be changed forever for the good. So here's one choice I made. Focus on death or focus on life. A very, very inspiring, amazing woman. If you want to read any more, that's, yeah, she's got a blog, which is amazing. So I would challenge you in summary. If Paul, living on death row, can choose to focus on the future, on his heavenly prize, if Nicola can choose to focus on life, then I believe you can too. I believe that with God's help, you can learn to forgive yourself and others. I believe you can learn to relax every day in God's grace. I believe that you can remember what matters most. And I believe you can focus on the future and on your eternal prize. And when you do, every day, you will rejoy your soul and will find that deep-seated joy and peace. And so as Paul started out the chapter with, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I will never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Amen.